Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. I'm your host Ajit and today I have a really special guest with me. It is my brother Ajay. Hello Ajay, welcome to the podcast. Hello Ajit and hello to all the listeners of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. I'm really happy to be here. I think uh, before we really get into the cricketing stories of the week, I just wanted to ask you maybe where does your cricketing interests lie and maybe how did it start <laughs> yeah well uh, growing up in the same family as you uh, there is clearly no uh, doubt as to where i get my cricket bug for sure um, it's mostly just like any average indian i have my interest in my interest in cricket has been ebbing and flowing quite a bit uh, but of late especially uh, my interest in cricket has picked up a lot i follow ipl more and um, and in the lockdown i've been following uh, test cricket a little bit more specifically indian tours and uh, the great the great way in which india has been playing in the last two series it's really uh, given me a lot lot more enthusiasm to follow uh, test cricket as well as this podcast you know the pure armchair critics uh, listening to all of you really helps as they say because you are new i just started off with the full toss right <laughs> now if you were to really go get into the meat of the matter here so the first one i guess is the third test between in england and india the one that uh, ended in two days so let's take a quick look at uh, the fallout from this test so let's get into it as a what are your thoughts about this test and what do you think of the pitch Uh, <laughs> yeah that's it's it's amazing test i think it was one it was an unbelievable test it's a test that has ended in two days and with england registering two of their five lowest test scores ever in this test match mm. i mean yeah i think it's one for the history books it's it will be remembered for a long time but not in the same way as you know the kolkata test match in 2001 or so but as uh, very low scoring test match ah, i don't know what to say about the the pitch uh, there has been a lot of controversy i think we can get into it uh, afterwards let's go to the scores maybe so basically you know england won a very important toss it could be said right so they could have really controlled the game from that point on right. so zack crawley gave them a very positive start let's say the second highest score of the game even 53 right mm-hmm. and then there was not a lot of support visible so from the very first morning onwards the 
let's say the nature of the pitch was very obvious so i think joru tried for a bit of time he spent more than an hour at the crease made only 17 but he was sort of building up to it so i think he was trying to get his head around what this pitch was doing whereas right. i think zack crawley got the best of the conditions with the new ball he got to face faster bowlers who are probably not as destructive on this pitch right mm-hmm. and um, ben fokes and archer probably tried a little bit more but 112 was all england could make and ishan sharma playing his 100th test opened up by taking a wicket that of dom sibley Mm. So well done to Ishant, and also it looks like he's got a six out of the way, right? So because it's his hundredth <laughs> exactly. test, he's yeah. got something to show for it—a wicket and a six. And more then, importantly, the first ever six he scored in international cricket in three hundred uh, test matches. <laughs> well, a hundred test matches, but indeed, uh, sorry, in, yeah, hundred in a lot of lot of games. Yeah. No, but he's also played a bunch of ODIs and maybe even a couple of T20s. So. well done to ishant right and <laughs> the ease with which he hit it probably shows he could have hit a bit more if he had put himself uh, you know up for absolutely. it absolutely absolutely but i mean when it comes to the spinners i think akshar patel really came to the party a home boy yeah. right so yes. well i think it it was already the way the pitch started behaving the indian spinners probably got a good idea of what it can do if mm-hmm. all they had to do was make sure just keep pitching the ball in a place where the batsman had to play at it and the vagaris mm. of the pitch would take over right mm, so right. bumrah who i think bowled about 10 10 overs in the game and then ishan sharma himself who was not required for no more than 5 to 8 overs i think so basically all it means is it was a spin dominated pitch i mean it goes without saying i guess because mm. i think uh, out of the 30 wickets that fell 28 fell to spinners but in this battle of spinners the indian spinners came out on top so when it finished at 112 all out for england i mean you could have said then maybe india could have gone on and set up a huge score and probably buried england under that avalanche of runs but that was not to be because rohit sharma made a wonderful 66 again very much a control innings uh, much like the second test where he set up the indian innings he was well on route to do that but clearly this pitch was a little bit more difficult than the second pitch played at chennai between him and shubman they first started off to 33 and then along with kohli Rohit Sharma had taken the score to 98 for two. It looked really ominous at that stage. I mean, it could have gone on to 300 or any big number like that, right? I think that was a turning point. The back end of day one when Virat Kohli lost his wicket and India went in at uh, three down, right? Three down mm-hmm. for 98. I mean, again, still they were still in the ascendancy. But the way India started out on the last day, I think really set, as they say, the cat among the pigeons because. Uh, seeing how difficult india found and how easy jorut bowled or mm. or how easy jorut found i mean he was 3 mm. uh, for no runs conceded at some point in time right exactly exactly in, i was tweeting out i think could he have gotten the first ever 5 for without conceding a run in test matches <laughs> wow. i mean there is a there is a very famous i think 7 uh, for 1 uh, by a certain curtly ambrose mm-hmm. in perth but this could have followed along same lines almost Yeah, exactly. Jorut could have been among the names of Kurtley uh, Ambrose, right? <laughs> yeah, on a pitch. I mean, look, <laughs> we have made superstars out of spinners as well. Huh? Let's not forget there was a six for nine by a certain Michael Clark, Michael Pop Clark, very early in his career as well, who used right. to bowl left arm, what what we would normally call pies, but on that day turned out to be hand grenades. <laughs> I mean, pretty much similar situation. So, I think Indian middle order sort of panicked. I mean, look. Okay, Pujara had already failed. Kohli was out, but Rahane was still at the crease with Rohit Sharma. A lot mm-hmm. could have happened, but then Rahane sort of went back to one that he should have played front, became LBW, mm-hmm. 
and then rohit sharma had to fall at some time i mean you could not expect one person to keep playing i mean that if he had done that that would have been a wonderful effort but it didn't materialize right. and right. only ashwin and to an extent ishant who in the during mm-hmm. the course of that 10 hit that famous six that we discussed mm-hmm. showed mm-hmm. a little bit of a right attitude where they said you know what there is a ball with my name on it all right. i can do is continue to score positively until mm-hmm. that ball comes to me for example i thought rishabh pant may have gotten out on a slightly soft a shot and right. the ball that sundar got from root i think i was listening to another podcast where they said any top off break bowler anywhere in the world would have been proud of it a ball released from wide of the wicket that sort of comes dips mm. there's a lot of revs on the ball and it dips mm. just beats washington sundar sprout and takes the top off off because he's a left hander that's like a dream ball for a left hander right um, for a, from a aussie absolutely i i even remember the expression on his face he got that ball and is completely flabbergasted i mean given the fact that he himself is an ospinner it's uh, even i mean yeah i remember looking at that ball and the expression on his face and truly it was an amazing ball with all the drift and spin so i mean this was a really really crucial point in the game so from when they looked like they could concede a huge lead mm-hmm. england had managed to do something that was unprecedented they had gotten the lead down to just 33 so right then and yes. there they really held the series in their hands i feel right so they had already seen yes. ashwin and ishan sharma sort of show that having an attacking intent on this pitch was the most important thing and probably even a 100 even a 120 could have been a winning target in the mm-hmm. fourth innings because the pitch was only going to deteriorate mm-hmm. so i mean we'll yeah. get to the pitch later on for sure but they sort of went into a shell to begin with i mean it was no no surprises that india started to open with two of their spinners i mean considering in the second mm-hmm. innings there was no bowlers uh, there were no overs from the fast bowlers it's just three spinners and i think uh, washington sundar mm-hmm. got a thanks for coming over as well one wicket which he took in that but four, four balls. balls there you go so but the point is <laughs> i was i could not fathom why the england openers came out in such a tentative mindset sack crawley bowled of the first ball johnny mm-hmm. bersto surviving an appeal for an lbw on the second getting bowled on the third Mm-hmm. Okay, I heard somebody mm-hmm. get into it a bit more in one of the other podcasts, and what they said is Zach Crawley played all around a straight one, and yes, Johnny Besto had it in his head. The moment he saw it, he thought that was a very good ball, and he played all around mm-hmm. a better ball, but still the gap was <laughs> huge, right? At the yeah. end of the day, this was a ball that was drifting in and just carrying on with the arm. There was nothing special about that ball, but the ball Zach right. Crawley got, as we will probably get into it. probably pitched on the shiny side of the ball it didn't hit the same and it just skidded on and okay. zach crawley he could have got to the front foot and he could have blocked it comfortably he sort of unexpectedly went back got bowled because it skidded on and johnny bestow got on the front foot he was doing the right thing but there was a huge gap the gap as wide as his pad between the bat and the ball bat yeah. and the ball just snuck yeah. so i think there at 042 there was a really really big trouble and dom sibley who's actually shown a little bit of maturity in the asian conditions could not last then mm-hmm. it fell back on joe root mm-hmm. and ben stocks so these both slowly began constructing an innings and stocks had the one english batsman with the right intent so joe root had the technique to survive stocks had both the technique as well as the mm-hmm. intent to hit and stocks made 25 of mm-hmm. 33 34 balls and he hung around for 30 minutes i think another 30 minutes of stocks i feel could have changed the game because mm-hmm. they were 50 for 3 and if 50 for 3 had become 100 for 3 in another 30 40 minutes india would have started panicking but that's where they missed a trick and they were already 
six for sixty-six. They had become five for fifty-six because both of them had been dismissed. Ben Stokes had to perish the mm-hmm. way he did because look, Ashwin was unsurprisingly accurate, but they took some runs off him. So Akshar Patel was unhittable, mm-hmm. but Ashwin gave away a few runs. Mm-hmm. So if you look at their um, economy rates, Ashwin was costlier. First eight overs of his spell, Ashwin did not mm-hmm. get a wicket, but Akshar Patel kept getting the wickets. And mm-hmm. around the fifteenth or the sixteenth over, that's when it started changing because. Ben Stokes gave Ashwin his first, right. let's say, taste of blood. He gave him the first wicket, and then right. it all changed, right? right? Oli Oli Pope a couple of attractive mm-hmm. shots, the right attitude, but not just the right judgment, and that that that's it, right? Ben Fox sort of he was good defending it, but he needed somebody to hit on the other side with him. Jofra Archer failed. Jack Leach mm-hmm. again is a blocker. Stuart Broad has regressed, unfortunately, as much as a batsman, and then that meant England were 81 all out, and Washington Sundar wrapped up, right? So. They were all out, 81, and really in that half an hour, as the old adage goes, you cannot win a test match in a session or in in a small passage of play, but you can definitely lose one. That's exactly what happened. Okay. Yes, and mm-hmm. that meant chasing 49 to win, and they had a chance of sort of sort of taking a slightly couple more breaths, the Indian team, because um, they had to come out, but they had to still block three overs out, and then is this. Tea, mm-hmm. what what would be tea? But now it's called dinner. I mean, they had 40 minutes to relax, dinner. sort of let it sink in. That all they need right. to do is hit right. for five hours, which is what they did, and the game was done. Right? Mm-hmm. Let's get into the pitch then. Yeah, I mean, I had a couple of things uh, to add there. So especially second innings. Yes, Akshar Patel started, and I think the wicket of Zach Crawley was really really pivotal there. It, the, he didn't play. I mean, yeah, as I said, it was a very nice ball, and he played all around the straight one, because he was the one who had who, who had uh, scored quite some runs in the first innings and actually hung around for the longest time. After that, I mean, from what I see, they've lost two wickets in three balls. Right, Besto has been dismissed on the third ball. So that just means that I don't know. They just came out too, too defensive, and I think that caused a lot of. Uh, a lot of problems and as you rightly said it was ben stokes who had the right attitude to really go attack and i mean what i don't understand is this is a test match everybody knows you have to survive the first few overs and then get acclimatized and then you hit uh, but if you if they don't even survive three balls you lose two wickets in three balls and i think that is the most pivotal innings especially after you know where it's really crucial in the second innings to actually hang around and build a lead I think that was uh, really important. Another thing is somehow blockers seem to fail in this game, mm. or blockers without a lot of technique like uh, Joe Root, especially I think Ben Fox, for example, who played really well in the second Test match, or even to, to a certain extent in the first Test match, uh, really did uh, did really fail in this test uh, in this Test match. So I think. Uh, Be, having the right intent and just uh, being more aggressive, I think, was the right attitude. And this, I think, was also echoed by Kohli because, as you said, Kohli got out on the last over, right, of the sec or the first day, if I remember right. And later, what Kohli said was that uh, the batsmen batsmen did not apply themselves enough. The pitch was not so bad, but the batsman did not apply himself. And from this, what I read is that he he. Got a early taste on the pitch on the first on the first day, and then uh, he was able to play quite well. And then I think it was just a moment of uh, lapse in concentration, and he lost his wicket. 
but he thought that everybody else could also play you know apply themselves and play and he says that he was disappointed in the remaining indian batsmen i mean barring rohit sharma of course that they didn't apply themselves and of course uh, and without saying it he said that he clearly implied that even the english players didn't apply themselves again i guess it leads to your next topic of that pitch before we go there maybe you want to talk about pujara oh yes of course i think that's a it's a very interesting thing it's a very interesting observation that i just had because in the three test matches uh, we saw the first one the pitch was not turning so much it was more of a balanced pitch and only in the first innings did pujara make a 50 after that he's not scored more than 20 in any of the innings and he's not performed in one of these you know any of these pitches where it turns so much i don't know i mean maybe uh, okay i don't follow cricket as much but this i see i saw was very surprising in india usually if my memory serves me right rohit sharma has been performing much better in indian conditions in test matches and pujara not so much especially when the pitch has been really turning a lot do you think i'm on the I have the right right hunch or so i mean you may have got half of that point the way i look at it is hmm? Pujara probably has to reset his mindset to play on these pitches which are more demanding when you're facing a spinner. Mm-hmm. I mean it's just a mindset change for me. I have seen him and I think we can remember when he has performed well even in tough conditions for batsmen facing spinners that is at home. Oh. So he's actually played out similar sort of long grinding innings. Mm-hmm. Only thing probably he has tweaked his technique and adjusted his mindset. For me it's all about the mindset I think where he's now contented to sort of ba- block faster bowlers mm-hmm. but then he has the technique and he has the mindset to just go back and do what he after all grow, grew up on pitches that were probably very challenging to play when facing a spinner so it's about changing in mindset that's it so i'm hoping it took him a couple of tests so first test was more even so that was an okay uh, let's say returns for him in that test the next two you, you're right he didn't so all in all i think we'll see a much more prepared pujara coming out to play no matter how the pitch plays in the last last test match of the series now coming back to that discussion about the pitch right you right. have certain thoughts about it but before we get into it what did you think of this pitch is this a good test match pitch or not ajay <laughs> i guess that's the golden question now is this a good uh, i guess uh, you also read the tweets and the and the comments by vvs lakshman harbhajan singh and uh, yeah it's it's been all over the place uh, and of course uh, so i i i think i would agree with kohli again as i as i've already stated uh yes what is a good test match uh, what is a good test match pitch this is a, again something that ashwin has asked uh, uh, has asked a very aggressive english media right uh, what is it and who defines it so well yes it is a different kind it's uh, it's uh, not normal let's say yeah i mean it, it requires different kinds of skills at the end of the day what's a test match it's something that's going to test your cricketing skills and your ability to persevere under harsh conditions and of course we know only we've known some kind of harsh conditions and these are other kind of harsh conditions where we have a pink ball and you're playing in the evening and it's and well as many people have quoted it uh, it the pitch seems like a fifth day pitch from the first day but nonetheless it's still i think a test match if one were to stay true, true to the definition 
or true to the meaning behind the name. So I would I would totally say that it's a proper test match wicket. What about you? I agree with most of what you said, except I have a few reservations about the concept of what is a test in this case, right? So there has to be certain amount of evenness in what let's say the conditions offer between the bat and ball. So whenever there is a there is a leaning towards one or the other, the match can become boring or the match can become too exciting, as we just saw. <laughs> so the second day was you couldn't take your eyes off the entire action that was happening. Mm-hmm. You were you were really in danger of completely missing something huge in this case, right? right? That you could have completely missed. Let's say a, a friend of mine told me he missed three hours of cricket and missed the entire game almost, <laughs> right? Entire second set of innings. Right. So in this case, that is sort of unexpected from a pitch because see, you are right. It was a challenging pitch. It demanded a lot of application from the batsman. All correct, but. The very fact that at the end of the first day, the pitch looked like it was the end of the fourth day or mid of a pitch, fifth day. The pitch had broken up so much that you could not think this was a pitch that was possibly first day pitch. So that's the only thing that I don't find comfortable there, right? So the way I would like to put it is this. It was not a five-day test match pitch. It was at best a three-day test match pitch. It was a test match pitch in as much that it demanded a lot of application a lot of concentration probably has a lot of intent maybe so at the end of the day it demanded different things of the batsman and even of the bowlers look let's be clear here the spinners who are successful immediately discovered all you had to do was put the ball there in the right spot and let the pitch make all the other amazing things so when you think about it that's a good let's say a good adjustment that the bowlers were unable to do the batsmen were unable to meet the challenge the effect what it gave is that it became a truncated mm-hmm. test. At the end of the day, I'm not really looking at what the sponsors would like or the curators and the people who organize cricket would like. I'm just saying as a test match fan, when the test match is about to pick up pace, so sort of the first two days of the test match is when the test match sets itself up. Third day is the moving day. Fourth and fifth day is where it rushes usually to a denouement or sometimes the thrill starts. It almost felt like the test match started on the third day, <laughs> where there was already enough mm-hmm. happening. There was no setup mm-hmm. required. There was already enough happening. So that is the thing that disappoints me about this pitch. There is nothing wrong in preparing such a pitch. Only thing, maybe you may want to think that if there was indeed any, let's say, a little bit of partiality in the way this pitch was prepared, you could very well think it would have backfired. It has happened enough times. So, but I would like to think they took a risk. It was a real, real grenade, hand grenade of a pitch. It would have gone anyway. Absolutely. On the same time, if England had read the conditions right, got two more spinners or one spinner and one more all-rounder or something, India could have been 80 all out on the first morning. Absolutely. That's exactly, I think that's the most important point. Yes, India won very handsomely. England has suffered what can be called, a, what can be called quite an embarrassing defeat. But England came in with just one spinner. And I think this uh, this made a very strong difference to the match. Because if I look at the number of overs bowled by fast bowlers, in, Indians have bowled like in the first innings 11 overs by fast overs, out of 48 is a one-fourth. But, but England, have uh, the fast bowlers have bowled uh, like 26 or 54, which is like half. So I think the fact that England did not bring the second spinner 
I think that was a very strong uh, factor, and we could see this because Jorut could could take five wickets in the second second innings. I mean, I, I take your point about uh, the balance being not good, but and maybe it being too tilted towards spin spin bowling, let's say. But that doesn't mean that uh, that doesn't mean that the balance is not there, or let's say the match cannot be exciting. or let's say the match cannot go to fourth day because it just happens that england didn't have enough spin bowlers in their arsenal and their batsmen could not apply themselves because i mean we've seen such uh, i mean we've seen such uh, pitches being prepared and i don't know somebody like ponting or steve war or somebody has gotten stuck on the wicket you know and played a day or so and then the whole uh, whole story is different so it, it is just like one of those one off matches that's what i would say like what happened in australia where india got bundled out to 36 or something the pitch where india all out were all out for 36 was a steady pitch and india were all out on the fourth day format right Correct. so they suddenly got all out for 36 because they were chasing not a very high target it was just 200 or 250 or something mm-hmm. and they were bundled out for 36 mm-hmm. right so in this case that was a collapse of a team that was a one off i agree right. with you and There are other test matches around the world where the pitches have not been really up to the mark. So when India toured South Africa previously, the pitch on the pitch where they won the mm-hmm. game, right? That was almost an unplayably bouncy pitch, okay. completely unpredictable bounce and unplayably bouncy, mm-hmm. and sort of Kohli almost cajoled his counterpart Fafty Plessy into saying, "You know what? Let's play it on." And it was again two and a half day mm-hmm. game mm-hmm. where fast bowlers ran right. amok. Probably they took thirty plus right. wickets in that. 40 game wickets that fell or so on see at the end of the day that is still okay what i am trying to say is you have two teams who are on very good position to play mm-hmm. spin india naturally playing spin mm-hmm. at home england who have been on a successful asia sojourn exactly. so far it must be said they have won a lot of tests and that means and one thing you said joe root is not only a technician he knows how to move his game up mm-hmm. and down that's what makes him one of the top four or five best batsmen out there currently okay. right he struggled what you said could have come to pass indeed if if kohli maybe have not had not lost his wicket at the end of the exactly. day one if he had stayed in day two and if they had taken out 30 40 hours between him and rohit mm-hmm. sharma and if india had almost lasted that day then it was all moot point if they had played 90 100 overs you could have said what you said but you see it did not happen in spite of kohli getting out rahane is good pant is all right and they are all at the they are all on a good high they are all not batsmen who are struggling maybe rahane to an extent but at the end of the day none of them could make it up and then whether england panicked or whether they could really not handle the condition their team and got all out for 81 as well so what that tells me is there is another way of looking and judging a pitch sometimes if the pitch is even you see the scores dwindling as they go on mm-hmm. so the first mm-hmm. innings or the second innings is usually the highest mm-hmm. of the game the third reduces the fourth reduces further that's a normal test mm-hmm. match pattern more or less there are rare test match patterns where it goes the other way mm-hmm. that is the pitch settles mm-hmm. down so it starts spicy mm-hmm. one and two day so first innings is low second innings is lower third is highest fourth mm-hmm. is higher or something mm-hmm. like this that's the other pattern mm-hmm. you see can you point out to a pattern in this pitch because what happened is 112 plus 143 plus 81 plus 49 i'm going to discount the last innings because they played only 8 mm-hmm. hours and they had a very clear target in sight mm-hmm. where they knew they had to go out with all guns mm-hmm. blazing there there was not going to be a 36 all out facing 43 or 44 mm-hmm. as a target so i'm going to leave out that last innings so that means look at the pattern here 
112 plus 143 or 144 plus 81. This is the thing I'm trying to point out because they are low scores. Right. There is no ebb and flow, and the pitch, the amount of wear and tear that was visible from the first session of the first day, that is sort of unprecedented. So again, I'll say the same thing: a good competitive test match pitch, but not one meant to last for five days. And that is sort of unexpected or unacceptable, you could say. Look, one thing I'll tell you: given that you, India is playing at home, you cannot expect them to prepare pitches. that are actually in favor of the opposition if they are playing at home they are expected to use home home advantage this is fine but this could have completely backfired what i told you it was almost a suicide move if india were 80 all out on the first end if england had survived through first day somehow they would have scored 180 and then india would have been sunk so which happened by the way previously when england visited india i think it was nagpur pitch where monty and grams one simply spun england to a victory on hand grenade of a pitch like this so that is the only thing that leaves me unsatisfied as a test match fan i'm happy that i follow indian cricket more and that i'm happy that india won and they have sort of you know made a good position for themselves to go to world test championship final but all that is fine you are allowed to have a some sort of a leaning for your own skill set your own you are allowed to back your own players nothing wrong just that the sheer unpredictability of the pitch and the amount of wear and tear it displayed from the very first day meant that was a complete gamble of a pitch and that i find as something of too much of a risky thing yes yes is absolutely absolutely you're right it was a gamble it could have backfired yeah that's what, that's that's what it is it and you're right in terms of the ebb and flow of scores that uh, nobody could actually even score so much i i just meant to say that uh, you know it, it, this could have gone to the fourth innings as well uh, fourth day at least if Uh, for example kohli was not out on the on the on the end of the first day exactly as you said and if uh, england had had a second spinner then the story would have been completely different so i mean the fact that this this ended in two, day, two days doesn't just uh, i don't think just the pitch is responsible i think there are a lot of factors there look they were probably a bit excited you know you have the best two fast bowlers of the most experienced two fast bowlers of a generation and as far as england is concerned the most ever right mm-hmm. between them they have 1150 wickets or something like this okay you would dare not leave that in the shed if you were to leave probably anderson was coming back because he had been rested rightly yeah. stuart broad was a bit ring rusty but he was all right there was no point in resting both or one of them in this test because you know by what we have seen about pink ball tests previously it's always sort of pace bowler friendly because the ball has more lacquer and at the toilet time the ball starts misbehaving both in the air and off the pitch in most conditions and they would have probably regretted leaving one of them out if it had gone in any other way but i was you know again hearing some place they have bowled 19 overs or something in the game this is the lowest they have ever bowled together in any test in this case it backfired badly one of the things i felt was could this works have had come in for one of those and i think you felt i think of air you were telling me maybe ali stone could have played but because jofra was fit he had to take the let's say the shock lance the the fast man in the 11 he was to take it but for me given uncomfortable maybe how unsuccessful or uncomfortable broad looked you could have rested him and given it to chris works but then england management would have ruled it had it been a seamer friendly pitch or a seamer friendly condition 
then why would you leave these two people the ferrari and the lamborghini of fast bowling in the shed or one of those why not play both of them right but then had they had more batting i'm not sure it could have helped this works as a classicist and probably he he could have struggled in the same way as folks did who was also a classicist but who knows he may have chanced his arm right but when it comes to the other more important point that you brought up no spinner i think they read the conditions wrong the biggest blow for them was i think moinali deciding to go back as planned and there's nothing against moinali for that they did not have another man in the 11 or in the squad who could have taken the, his place in the 11 but had provided enough of a batting dombes can come a cropper i think he only did well in the first test in patches with the ball and he was okay with the bat on such a demanding pitch i don't think he would have made much of a contribution with the bat and we don't know what sort of contribution he could have made with the ball because he's not been consistent on this tour so if moin ali was there because he's a left hander and a hard hitting left hander much like your stokes he would have probably come into the 11 in place of i dare say ali pop england would have gone a full batsman chart and they would have included moin ali in the 11 then they would have gotten the balance right but because they did not have that hard hitting man who could also bowl some spin they had to fall back on joe root in this case considering that they bowled their opposition out for 144 i think they did the work the lack of spinner probably cost them a little but then i think it's just down to that one innings where england panicked that's what lost them the game as i said they had the series in their hands at that point in time all they had to do is go ahead and seize it so i'll tell you one more example when australia came with that golden team i think it was 2009 10 maybe or even a bit i forget the exact year ponting was off in that test match adam gilchrist was captaining the team and it was another one of those hand grenaded pitches he promoted himself to number 3 in the third innings of the game i think they had secured a small lead probably 20 or 30 run lead he came out at number 3 and hit a 48 probably at run a ball or better than run a ball so what he ensured is wickets were going to fall it was not going to be 60 for 6 it was 120 for 6 that meant his team probably got a lead of 150 plus and that was enough to finish india off in the fourth innings all you needed was 1% to do that and some it had to be 1% in the top four frankly so you are right zack crawley if he had gotten off if johnny bearstow it was so crucial them slipping to 042 that was the killer because zack crawley had played with a lot of intent in the first innings he was successful johnny bearstow is a one day player who's played a lot of cricket in subcontinent yes it is not a normal pitch but you would expect he had shown a little bit of courage and gone after the bowling got out for a silly shot after having made a 30 like top edging one that went straight up in the air and got caught by the keeper i don't care that would have been enough that would have given the rest of the batters who came down the line to swing continue swinging score teens every one of them score at 12 15 and you keep going the lead is 180 that means india needs 150 that means you have enough to win the game exactly exactly i mean that was a little there was a little risk of this happening when joe joe root and ben stokes were playing right that was a little there but then once they fell then i think they the test match ended uh, right right then and there i think what i really saw in the last innings really gave me some interest because the way rohit sharma and gill came and they didn't even apply look like they were going to lose a wicket or they were they, they had any problems so i mean it was just a matter of intent is what i saw i mean still it's after all, a lot of wickets have fallen and the pitch has deteriorated a lot it's still they they could show so much intent and just score the runs right i mean 50 runs in whatever overs that they scored this has this was didn't happen in the test match look it was getting to the half half way mark the back of the chase would be broken as you say 
in most chases right. right the score is 200 to win if you get to 100 for 100 for two you know this back of the chase is broken and something drastic has to happen right in this case the the target was much closer it was 22 four big hits five big hits that's all they needed and rohit sharma has a hand eye game he really doesn't care about the pitch and shubman gill is a young gun he can back himself he's also very successful opening the batting in t20s that's what they did i mean what i meant to say exactly you're right it was uh, a very easy thing and then maybe the england england team was also quite demotivated by that point of time to push hard but nonetheless if the same thing could have as you said you know if the same thing was done by the uh, openers of the english team in the in the first in the second innings Mm-hmm. then it would have changed so i'm exactly. just talking about the intent and i think that as i'm just, i'm just adding to your point that way that that was really uh, costly mm. and i think uh, after all this discussion i think we have to also give the credit where it's due which is to the indian spinners ashwin and akshar patel sure. i mean whatever the pitch they really bowled well especially like ben stokes wicket of uh, ben stokes wicket that ashwin took it was an amazing uh, build up and they really i mean they are really world class bowlers yes mm-hmm. they might have gotten a bit of uh, help from the wicket but still i think there's really nothing that we should we can take away from them definitely look as they say about batsmen right it's there to be hit but you have to hit it the exact same thing for the bowlers it's a deadly good wicket for you but you have to understand what needs to happen on that wicket in this case all you have to do is keep pitching it on that same place let the pitch do everything it had to do and they got it right and as you say they came away with a lot of wickets right i mean not just that i mean at also crucial times in the match especially the second innings of england beginning of the second innings where they could where they really had to perform to turn the match is where they did i think that is something that uh, that is laudable that's something that we could miss many many people from the commentary that i'm listening on the media is this is what they are missing absolutely look the way aksar patel has started i dare say even if jadeja is available for selection on the fourth test he might not get in <laughs> exactly he has an average of 9.44 or something like this i mean there are very few bowlers so there is a certain guy called george loman i don't know if you know he's called yes, the bratton of bowling yes. he had a yeah some 112 115 wickets at an average of 10.5 or something Correct. i mean it's impossible to be better ever right so he bowled on on the days where pitches were sticky dogs or batsmen were sticky dogs or whatever and he kept uh-huh. taking wickets so the way he started and look he's just he has had nothing great to do but he he has done what is required and that's a lot of wickets to be taking in the first two to three test matches in your career and i mean i dare say it's all downhill from here but he's shown that he's a cricketer that's mature enough so when there is a jadeja look if jadeja was fit this guy would never play so if jadeja is not fit he's shown next cap of the rank is good enough to do the job ashwin look he's a champion cricketer and he's one of the modern greats i'm going to put it out there whether it be acknowledged or whether it comes uh, as a retrospective and it becomes clear to us in posterity it's it's, it's an obvious thing because 78 test to take 400 wickets is an awesome thing i don't care where you played all your cricket i don't care what i don't care what sort of a spinner or what sort of a bowler you are these were figures achieved by some of the greatest bowlers dale stein did it richard hadley did it right dennis lilly who had a comparable number so when you look at this these are all classic but he's gone to 400 and the other thing is not to forget he's a spinner so he doesn't always get to start off with a new ball he doesn't always get to set the agenda of an innings 
he may have to come sometimes rescue especially when he's playing outside the subcontinent he may have a different role to play his average is very commendable 28 his strike rate is the one that's startling strike rate of 54 under 54 for a spinner is amazing and let's not forget he also contributes with the bat and there's we have seen a second coming recently right so he's sort of establishing himself as an all-rounder and i think that innings where he helped save the game with vihari did a lot of good for ashwin the batsman but when we just look at ashwin the bowler he's continued to evolve he's done all these crazy things i don't know if you've seen some videos out of tnpl where he doesn't use the other arm <laughs> when bowling he bowls a, a leg break from in front of the arm in front of the wrist he does wonderful things but when it comes to the traditional format of the game he has never lost sight of the actual way to buy a wicket get a wicket keep persevering bore the batsman out and he has enough skill enough guile he can get the ball to drift so we saw or we always see how good nathan lyon is how much of an evolved cricketer he is because of all the variations he's been displaying through his career we may not agree or it may not become very visible but ashwin is a much more evolved cricketer right and i mean more speed to him more power to him he's he's 32 33 and if he stays fit if the back doesn't bother him too much he may play four to five years more of cricket and he may actually break kumble's record and become the most wicket taking indian bowler what do you think absolutely when i looked at this uh, this table of uh, highest wicket takers for india in test matches it's it is startling i mean his rate especially his strike rate as you said it's totally startling and uh, also as you say he has shown his skill across uh, across formats Maybe be T20 where it's a different kind of skill is required, or Test matches where a different kind of skill is required. He's proven himself again and again, and you're absolutely right. He is one of the modern greats, and probably will be better appreciated in posterity. You're right. Right. That being said, well, at least in this series, he's been outstanding. Both spinners have been outstanding. Shabash Nadim did not do a specifically bad job, but probably. He was just below par on that pitch, mm. that pitch that was more sporting, mm. right? And then I think we should now look at the other side of what this pitch could mean, right? We hear England is considering lodging a complaint with uh, the match referee. I think they've already approached Jawagal Shinath, the match referee, and had a chat mm. with him. I don't know if it's going to take the form of an official complaint, mm-hmm. right? And on the other hand, we see it's not an unfit pitch, so the Test match did not get cancelled because it was unfit, deemed unfit to the batsman. it was just as you say a very challenging pitch it just fast forwarded everything all it all happened too quickly mm-hmm. so we also read some reports saying india might escape any censure from icc because at the end of the day it was a test match oriented wicket uh, result oriented wicket all of this being said what do you say do they will india suffer any consequences of this pitch and maybe what do you see as the way the next pitch the same uh, stadium motera stadium or narendra modi stadium what do you see that pitch to be well um, yes. yeah honestly i it's a new stadium right it's part of this new uh, sporting complex and it's something that india and particularly gujarat has invested a lot in i don't think they would want to invite some kind of remark from icc in the long term in the anyway so that that's not going to uh, fare good for the stadium Yes, this was a challenging uh, pitch, but even if even even if one were to base one's decision on just this pitch and just this result, it would be unfair of ICC to actually uh, I don't know uh, penalize or whatever 
uh, about this cricket because I mean, as you said, there have been such pitches previously in New Zealand, in South Africa, and since and it would be completely unfair of ICC to do any to give anything as such. Yes, and uh, from some reports that I've been reading in PTI, the Press Trust of India. And they say that maybe the second test uh, pitch will probably not be, uh, you know, so much of a hand grenade as you put it, hand grenade pitch, and would probably be more evenly poised. So that uh, let's say, and they say that finally the uh, decision by the ICC will be taken after the match referee will write his final report after the second test match, after the fourth test match, that is. And based on the cumulative report that the match referee, match referee uh, submits to ICC, and if uh, the second test match, as uh, we read, uh, the pitch for the second test match will not be too bad, and then it will be hard for ICC to actually, uh, you know, make anything. So I don't think it's going to happen, and it would be a stupid thing for BCCI to do to allow this to happen because I, I'm reading that a lot more uh, matches will probably be hosted at this. Uh, venue, you know, I mean, they named it the Narendra Modi Stadium on the current Prime Minister. If that uh, invites some kind of uh, remark from ICC, then that would be a lot of loss of face. Second thing, they want to host uh, a lot of, uh, they want to host some matches in the upcoming T20 uh, Championship, that is uh, in IPL and in the T20 World Cup that's going to happen in India next year. So, uh, I yeah I, I I don't think the cricket cricket board that is BCCI would allow such a thing to happen. So you're saying the pitch will be more sporty, or you're saying it'll be more balanced? Um, yeah, again, I think it will be uh, a dead rubber basically. Meaning, whoever goes in there, even if Ashwin opens the batting with Akshar Patel, they'll both score centuries and play out one and a half days, play 500, and then the other team will do the same and they will make sure it's a draw. Because India doesn't want, I mean, that's that's what I read and I think I, I totally agree that India doesn't shouldn't take any more risks in the last test match because they have to get out of this as victors of the series to qualify for the World Test Championships. So the best way forward, I mean, if I were a strategist for BCCI and if I had any control over the pitch, this is what I would do. Make it a dead rubber. Make sure that there will be no result at all. <laughs> but that's just me. Huh? Well, look, let me play the devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. Suppose you make it a little bit of a batting-friendly pitch, as you put it, and not an evenly contesting pitch like the first test match of the series. right? right. There is a very high likelihood one of the teams may stumble. So, England is not in the most positive of mindsets. That having, you know, being bundled out under 200 in an entire test. And as you said, some really low scores almost historically. But they are known to come out of their corner fighting. This is a very strong English team. They have won six matches in Asia on the bounce and they started this tour with a win as well, right? They may want to take home some pride. Joe Root may come good again. They may put up 600 and India might be the one to stumble and it might become two all. Uh, would you rather not risk simply? Preparing another uh, really spicy air quotes pitch and let the chips fall as they may. Because you're absolutely right that, you know, sometimes batsmen and teams can go in with a mindset. I remember once in Headingley, when India went into Headingley, they had sort of made up their mind. If we win the toss, we bat. If they win the toss, we know they're going to put us in. It was a spicy pitch. With a clear mindset like that, they made 600 batting first. It was a 
tough pitch. It was a very tough half a day to negotiate, but they got there. That's it. Against all odds, they were actually uh, trailing in the series, but against all odds, they beat England to take the series to one all, right? And England could exactly go with this mindset. So then hope they win the toss because in this case, because if it's a neutral sort of a pitch, no captain after winning the toss will allow the opposition in, right? But I think I agree with you. In sort of common sense perspective as well, this is a bit of gamesmanship. BCCI is very clever with that they could do. First test match was sort of a neutral like pitch, which unfortunately the Indian team lost. Second one was spicy, but Indian team did well. At least one team, air quotes, did well enough to bat 180 overs. So you can't complain too much. Third one is the spiciest of the lot. Fourth one will be less spicy, but it will not be a dead pitch. It will not be a tar road, as they say. Because uh, any any other thing that you may or may not have seen, at least I have a feeling some of the people that have come to tour on this on this tour of England might never come back. James Anderson, Stuart Broad, right? The rest of the squad is very young. They'll have a chance. But they may want to put a stamp on this series before they leave. Jimmy Anderson already did it, right? So all of these said and done, I sort of still agree with you that uh, there is a good chance it will be not a very spicy pitch and it will be neutral, neutral uh, heading towards sort of a anodyne pitch. Exactly. I mean, this seems to be the pragmatic approach, let's say. But uh, the latest news, uh, maybe there was a latest news came out on ASPIN Cricket Info like a few hours ago, where Fox has made some statements and he says he trained on the pitch and he says it will be the more of the same. So now, yeah, so now that uh, raises a lot of interesting possibilities or maybe, yeah, maybe my my pragmatic approach that I'm trying to pitch here, pitch here is uh, yeah, probably something off. Maybe BCCI knows better. Or not. We'll, we'll find out. Look, how, how did he get to train on that pitch? He's had a look at it. He would not be allowed to set a foot on it. No way, right? Mm-hmm. He's probably mm-hmm. trained some 20 yards from it and he's had a look at it. And he thinks, mm-hmm. uh, with all due respect to Mr. Fox, I don't know if he knows enough about pitches in that part of the world, right? <laughs> and uh, I think I'm going to say they're going to play their cards close to the chest and probably even on the morning is when you're going to really see the nature of the pitch. The amount mm-hmm. of rollers that have been used, the amount of watering that's been done, any sharing of any excessive grass on the pitch leading up to the game, all of these will be sort of done with their cards close to their chest. But I still think Mr. Fox may have got it wrong, right? This is my reading of the situation. But as I said, this is what we live for, right? As test match fans, all of this build up, all of this spice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. All right. That's, that's, I think, uh, an exhaustive discussion. Before we go away from this topic, did you see the new India T20 squad that's been announced to play England? So they have included a couple of names that were sort of big performers in the latest IPL as well as in the domestic uh, trophies. So basically, Suri Kumar Yadav has made it into the squad. Varun Chakravarti has come back into the squad after missing his tour of Australia. And then you have uh, Rahul Tevatia, the finisher and the bowler, right, in the squad again. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. look, these are all people who are sort of in the fringes, you could say, and they have been given a chance. Same for Ishan Kishan. A really a guy who could challenge Pant going forward. A very, yes. very young guy and mm-hmm. who's a keeper, but a very bombastic batsman, left-hander as well, right? Mm-hmm. So what does this 
if anything tell you about uh, the way direction in which the india indian cricket team is going at least with considering there is a world cup this year right people to world yeah i i uh, yeah i think it's it's really great to see this happen because this is one of the, this is uh, in my point of view one of the great things that ipl has been contributing to indian cricket as such which is to allow for better selection of performers and to give chance uh, to give opportunities to people who Uh, who have a lot of talent but for some reasons were have not been able to come to the limelight and actually perform so in that regard i'm really happy that you know surikumar yadav has been chosen this time i mean he's been playing so so well for so 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 long and he did perform really well in ipl t20 2020 and this i think uh, has uh, you know he's been chosen and i think that's really great and uh, varun chakravarty again another another very nice spinner this kind of mystery spinner has come in and this is really good i mean this is something that we saw in the uh, in 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 the great australian teams right you just had a nice turnover and you had amazing bench strength and and just pure meritocracy and this is i think uh, this is again what i really like to see and this is what i'm seeing as well so i'm really happy as to uh, ha- happy that this is happening and of course there is a world cup t20 world cup in india and we we would need all the uh all the right players and this uh, these new players who've performed and who've shown their uh, talent in IPL 2020 will have an opportunity to again prove themselves in this series so that they could be chosen or not chosen for the world cup so that we'll have better uh, choice and better uh, understanding of whom to choose and whom to not choose especially given the given the fact that it's happening in india as well and probably in the same venue I don't know. I don't know where the T20s are going to be in India in this series, but given the fact that it's going to be in India as well, so I think it's good. It's a good opportunity to bloody these these players so that we can have a better choice up mm. in the T20 World Cup. Okay, I think you meant uh, blood in or blood them, give them a chance. But okay. blood, blood them. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> At the end of the day. you are probably right also i think this is a pure horses for courses sort of a selection where they want to try out a few players ahead of the world cup people who are who are performers across a couple of seasons and they want to see if they can actually find an optimal sort of a squad given the world cup is also going to be played in india it's a nice uh, chance that some of these people i hope they grab grab it with both arms people like shuri kumar yadav rahul tewatia ishan kishan up coming coming so it's it's really nice to see that the selectors are sort of having an open mindset Another thing we read is Jasprit Bumrah has been given a break from the fourth test. There has been no new uh, bowler replay, uh, sort of put in place. Uh, given that both Umesh Yadav and uh, Mohammad Siraj are already in, and Ishan Sharma is in a reasonable position, he's played the test, but he looks fit. So, I mean, or do you think again, just to bring in a little bit more spice, or do you think this is an indication of how the test match is going to go? It's going to be spinner dominated, Ajay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I read at least the news says that uh, Bumrah requested for personal reasons to be discharged. Let's say, so I don't know. I wouldn't read too much into it. Uh, but this point that you make is really important. Bumrah is not in the T20 squad, not at all. That means he's not mm-hmm. coming back soon. Mm-hmm. And this I think is a really important thing because he's been a star performer in uh, T20 for India. So of course this would give. also a good opportunity to better uh, you know test the other uh, star performers for uh, t20 t20 
for India like Shardul Thakur and Deepak Chahar, but also other slightly better tested people like uh, Bhuvaneshwar Kumar, Nadeep Saini and Tina Trajan. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, that would be an interesting thing uh, to see without Bumrah, how would India fare against uh, England, which is also very strong in T20, right? Indeed. I mean, they are very strong in any white ball cricket. And uh, that would be a nice challenge here, absolutely right. Uh, also, I have a feeling they're hiding some of their main weapons ahead of the World Cup. They're giving them a break. That's what it's called, of course. But also, given that the same England squad will come back to play the World Cup, they don't want a chance for them to play these ace players and then get acclimatized, so to say. I mean, look, most of this England squad plays IPL and it's, it's sort of all by play for me, but in, I don't want to read too much into it, but just something that came across for me. Yeah, it's a good point nonetheless. Yeah. All right. Now, if you were to get ahead, look at some of the other cricket going on. So there are two T20s played between New Zealand and Australia. So they're playing a five-match series, sort of Tans Tasman five-match five T20 series that is again, I think, in preparation for the World Cup. And uh, what we see is New Zealand are 2-0 up. First one was so much more one-sided game where Martin Guptill failed and Tim Seifert failed and sort of New Zealand were in a bit of strife batting first. But then Kane Williamson and Devon Conway sort of stabilized them. And from that point on, well, Devon Conway got a lot of support from Glenn Phillips, Jimmy Nisham, and they finished really strong. So it could have been 80 all out, 100 all out. But Devon Conway made an unbeaten 99, really unlucky to miss out on not finishing 100. But he's in a rich vein of form. He's converting it. And 184 for 5 that New Zealand made was enough that the bowlers, New Zealand bowlers, blew Australia away with Tim Saudi, Trent Bolt taking two each. And then, uh, you know, Ish Saudi, the spinner, coming in with four wickets. I caught at fag end of this game. And by then, the game was more or less settled. It was a question of how close Australia would come. I didn't see them winning because... The middle order had been taken out and spinner coming really good and sort of tossing the ball up. It was great to see a leg it's tossing the ball up, getting, uh, trying, you know, the batsman to hit against the spin and sometimes just the ball standing up in the air and giving easy catches. That was a very consummate performance by New Zealand and Devon Conway. I think in Devon Conway, they found a really, really strong limited overs player. Maybe he's even one for the test matches. Remains to be seen how it goes. And the second T20A that was played in Dunedin was more much more closely contested. So in this case, it was a run feast. And just to bring it back into context, so this happened on the second day or at the beginning of second day, depending on how you look at it, when India-England test match was going on. And this game produced more runs than the entire test between India and England. So oh, amazing. New Zealand batting first made 219 for 7 and Australia came really close. They finished 215 for 8. So batting first, Martin Guptill came good, scored 97. It was in a small stadium, right? And Dunedin is not a much bigger stadium than, at least I am told, than my uh, local uh, club game, club stadium. But it still takes some hitting to hit all the sixes, right? And Martin Guptill hit a bunch of them, eight sixes. And then Jimmy Nisham hit six of them. And the number of sixes they hit was a record. So they had, I think they hit 17 sixes, and that was a record for New Zealand. And they finished 219, where... Ken Williamson made a patient 53, even he hit three sixes. And Jimmy Nisham sort of was promoted up to order ahead of some of the most uh, established batters to try to get going. And he did that. He made 45 just 16. But then, you know, Australia were not to be undone. They began in the right uh, sort of attitude. Matthew Wade and Aaron Finch scoring quickly. Aaron Finch is sort of in a rut, not really providing the turbocharged starts or that sort of ballast that he gives to Australia. So 
mean, Australian skippers have had this sort of uh, tough previously. Mark Taylor famously sort of not getting 118 months or so and almost on the verge of getting dropped. I back Aaron Finch to come good. But Josh will be coming in at three made of 45. And then sort of again, New Zealand uh, thought they had the game because when Josh Philippi got out at four for 112 and in sort of in the 13th over, there was very less chance for Australia to chase. But two people disagreed. One was Marcus Toynis, who made 78 of 37. And Daniel Sams, who's probably the find of the series as far as Australia are concerned. He made 41 of just 15. So they had a lot of fun between themselves, uh, between them both. Toynis hit five sixes and Sams four sixes. I think uh, Jimmy Nisham was called upon to show his golden arm. And he dismissed both of them in the last over, and he got a bit lucky as well. One of his full tosses went for six, and uh, one of his length balls was hit straight down long on its throat by Marcus Toynis because I thought they had the game in their hand, Australia. All it needed was one more boundary hit, and they were across. But unfortunately, that didn't happen, and New Zealand got lucky. They escaped with a win there. Uh, so basically, these were all the, let's say, the games that, uh, that happened in this interim. But if you were to take a look at um, some of the news from off the cricketing field, so I think the first important thing we can take a look is that uh, Will Pukowski, the young Australian opener who played one test against India in the recently concluded tour, he's uh, been scheduled to undergo a shoulder reconstruction. So if you remember in the fourth test, uh, in the third test, he fell and he injured his shoulder in a very awkward manner. And he's come back to training, but then it was not enough. He's been told that, you know, this is a long-term problem and he's, it's better if he actually gets a shoulder reconstruction. So he's decided to take a six-month break out of cricket. It's very unfortunate for this very young cricketer who's shown a lot of promise. But it's one problem after the other, unfortunately, for him. We really hope he comes through on the other side and has a long, productive career for Australia. I mean, when we look at the Sri Lankan tour of West Indies, the upcoming tour, there are quite a lot of things going on there, Ajay. So basically, in the Sri Lankan tour of West Indies, upcoming tour, uh, quite a lot of things are going on on the field and off the field as well, apparently. Because first of all, uh, one of the starting bowlers in the squad, Lahiru Kumara, has been diagnosed with COVID-19. He's been left out of the squad. Suranga Lakmal has been brought on to the squad. And then Dasun Shanaka has been named as the captain of the squad. Because Malinga, who's not been training with the uh, Sri Lankan squads, any squad for the last six months or so, has been deemed... Uh, surplus to requirements, he's been left out. And Dasun Shanaka has been handed the captaincy of the T20 team. But unfortunately, the, due to some visa restrictions and visa issues, he's not able to take take part in the first couple of games. So it looks like Matthews will be the stand-in captain. And then you have Tom Moody, who's been roped in as the director of cricket, Sri Lanka cricket. So let's say his role is an overarching one, much like what Graham Smith does for South Africa. He's expected to carry out a mandatory assignment of at least 300 days in a year where he will analyze the future tools program, focus on domestic tournament structure, player welfare, education and skills development, a bunch of things, coaching, support staff structure. Basically, he's a one-man army as far as Sri Lankan cricket is concerned. They want to revamp it. So all of this after, it looks like the nephew of the president of Sri Lanka has been made the sports minister. So after this has come into picture, he's sort of, first of all, set up a different sort of a board given the board a different outlook. He set up a cricket committee by inviting Arvinda De Silva, Kumar Sangakkara, some people who had sort of turned their backs on the board, previous boards, to come back in and start taking part and sort of getting involved in the building the game from grassroots up. And Tom Modi, who's been a very successful coach for Sri Lanka in the past, has been invited back. Some background for that. But there has also been a bit of dirty laundry washing in the public, Ajay, when it comes to Samindavas. <laughs> yes, indeed. I mean, that, I was really surprised to uh, read this news. Uh, apparently, after, 
just after three days after being appointed Sri Lanka's Sri Lanka's consultant bowling coach for the tour of West Indies, Chaminda Vas has resigned. And this uh, and every I mean and Sri Lanka cricket has made some you know uh, bad statements about him, saying it's very disheartening and it's a sudden sudden irresponsible move just for some money or something like that, uh, as they put it, based on personal monetary gain. I don't know. They say he's he's very esteemed, and also when I read this news, it's so much detail. I mean, why? What are you guys doing? It looks like Vas has actually coached Sri Lanka, or 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 been on the coaching staff uh, on three different occasions: once in 2013, once in 2015, and briefly in 2017. So it's not like he's somebody new, or there is some kind. So there is clearly some things happening behind the scenes. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they want to entertain people or distract people or something. I don't know. Look, at the end of the day, in such a situation, when it's a one man versus an organization, the more the organization says, the less powerful and the less capable they look. <laughs> at worst, he's avaricious. But then you don't have to highlight it. Maybe they are putting it out as a warning to other people who want to hire him or something. But look, anybody who's been a, as you say, a dedicated servant of Sri Lankan cricket, who's had this sort of a role multiple times, would probably look to serve the cricket uh, in Sri Lanka rather than go away. Maybe it's a matter of finances, but at the end of the day, it never looks nice when you're washing dirty laundry in public. And as a body, you don't have to put out any statement. All you can say is he's decided to walk away and let it be. I don't hear too much speculation anyway from those that are following it. I don't know what Sri Lankan board is doing, but well, they are the masters of the way they act and they probably have a good idea. In another slightly important COVID news, so it looks like New Zealand cricket... Uh, has decided to move all the Auckland games, so both men's and women's games. So there's also an ongoing women's tour of New Zealand, England women's tour of New Zealand. So there, you know, the at least on-field results are very interesting because it's 2-1 uh, with the ODIs. And both these games that are remaining as well as the two T20s that are supposed to happen, they've all been moved out of Auckland because Auckland has gone into a lockdown. Between Australia and New Zealand, they are some of the, let's say, the most secure or safe places when it comes to COVID and unfortunately they've gone into a lockdown so there uh, some of the cricket has been rearranged so that the cricket will still go on it's truly a sad thing that uh, COVID has uh, surged again in New Zealand because recently we had news that the the Prime Minister was having a barbecue outside and it was such a nice festive environment and it's really nice to see I mean given that uh, the kind of situation I and you face here in Europe it's so nice that New Zealand was COVID-free, so as to say. But this is really unfortunate. And uh, I'm sure they're, they're on top of it and they'll take care of it. Do you say maybe her barbecue caused an outbreak of COVID? Is that what you're indicating? Papa, <laughs> mm, <for> <laughs> I'm not going to comment on this. <laughs> we should look at the next news. Some interesting discussions going on with MCC Cricketing Committee, Ajay. Yo, yes, indeed. So the cricketing committee has met and they've made a couple of very interesting uh, recommendations to, to the ICC and one, one being about the DRS. They say that uh, no, they have recommended that umpire, umpire's call should no longer be a thing. That is, uh, once, the, once a review has been taken, uh, the umpire's original decision should be dis- discarded, discarded and uh, yeah, and this umpire's call, uh, some of the committee members felt that it was confusing for the audience. And I don't know, I totally don't agree with this. Uh, because uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, if 
the ball is hitting half of the stumps on the outside then who would you believe who would you believe the prediction by an algorithm or somebody who's actually in the stadium so i would always believe somebody who's there at in the stadium so i don't know if, i don't know why they're doing this and i i wouldn't agree with this the other one is mm. uh, that uh, uh they want to ban they want to put a, per- a permanent ban on using saliva on cricket balls uh, specifically mm. because uh because of the covid situation and you know hygiene issues i guess yeah i guess this is a good, this is a good idea in terms of uh, ball tampering and stuff it might uh, reduce the ability of a bowling team to i don't know get reverse swing or something maybe you can comment better on this but yeah uh, those are the two uh, interesting recommendations from the cricket committee to icc what do you think well it remains to be seen really i mean this is a age old practice of actually applying a little bit of saliva on the ball and um, basically to maintain the shine and maybe as the ball gets older as you said to also get some reverse swing going but i mean there are already a lot of alternatives that are being discussed a small you know small tube of a gel like substance that can be used that can be that can be put in the pockets and it's sort of approved by icc that you take it out and you squeeze a little bit on the ball on the side that you want to shine and so that that's possible and i mean i dare say it makes the game a little bit more uh, gentlemanly looking or a little bit more uh, acceptable <laughs> if you remember where Han- fanny de villiers used to put the ball uh, he used to put the ball into his shirt in directly into his armpit <laughs> to gather whatever sweat he may have yes or wherever else yes. so maybe it makes it a bit more uh, let's say visually appealing yes yes i mean the cameras don't have to turn away and show a, a nice looking woman somewhere in the crowd when somebody is deciding to shine the ball on the field yeah. right i mean or a nice looking man i mean i'm, I'm not biased one way or the yes. other but i think you get my sure, picture sure. so at this point in time it it, yeah, it might not be a bad idea to just move away from that look it it we've we've learned a lot about hygiene in the last 100 years or so i mean <laughs> given that 100 years ago nobody bathed even every day i mean to where we are now it's also time to bring yeah, it into cricket absolutely. right the other thing is uh, well i mean before we sort of finish off round up all the new stories as a shot in the arm for all the middle aged men out there Chris Gale, who's a young 41, and Fidel Edwards, the fast bowler who back in the day was very fast, who's apparently still very fast, and who's a very young 39, have been recalled based on their performances in the various leagues across the world into the West Indies squad to play Sri Lanka. So this is a very curious mixture of some cricketers with experience, some very, very experienced cricketers, some newcomers who are sort of stars previously. So, I mean, recently I read Fidel Edwards is still clocking at 150. wow by rights he's back in the squad not only by his pace but also i think he's matured beautifully he had some ins and outs with the west indian team west indian squads with the board um, there have been some stories with him but what he has done is he's gone back completely his rehabilitation grown very much as a bowler by playing county county circuit for a long period of time and he retains his pace apparently he's a really fit guy and he retains his pace and we know about the universe boss mr gail who can still change a game on his day and that experience he brings and that nows it's very interesting to see they have actually backed somebody like him uh, to open or maybe play in the top order ahead of somebody like uh, Darren Bravo Darren Bravo is no longer in the squad right so all in all a very interesting mix when you look at the squad and we'll see how it pans out maybe these are all like uh, horses of course is very much keeping the world cup upcoming world cup in mind as far as west indies are concerned today absolutely it's amazing how gail can come back make a comeback at 41 given everything that he's gone through and his 
checkered history with the board and his star performances all over the world so i mean this is one person who yeah who's na- named as just doesn't die i'm really astonished uh by the way just to f- finish up i wanted to know your opinion about this umpire call thing i would say that's probably not the right direction to go so you are now going to say whatever decision has been taken on the field will be disregarded and for an lbw it's going to be purely based on what the machine can read and whatever the algorithm comes up with i would say then do you trust an algorithm more than what a person who's actually standing on the field and actually has seen probably a lot of cricket over his career and probably on that condition in that pitch has come up with as a decision i think that's probably not the right approach because eventually we may actually drive the umpire entirely out of the game the standing umpire entirely out of the game i mean it's not a bad thing in itself right i mean the umpire stood there because at some point in time like most things that happened in that part part of time in our history it had to be a man or a person standing there to take the call eventually it can simply be a machine that's not even required to stand there but has the eye to look at the action from very far away to be able to judge it that's a nice thing but as a classicist as somebody who likes to see that guy whom with whom you can have a word go away we i'm not saying it will what it will happen in the next 3 years but if we are headed that way where we are going to trust machines above the direct the judgment of a person and that i think is not the best way to go yeah i totally agree with you especially it's, uh, when, when we look at what's happening in in football and tennis for example they are much less much more reluctant to trust machines so i think it's uh, i totally agree with you let's take a look at the trivia section to wrap up this episode so the trivia question from the previous episode was who is the only player in a test cricket that has done this trick of a 5 or 100 in the same test more times than ashwin i don't know if you had a chance to look at it and maybe if you have a guess at the answer ajay uh, i remember from the last episode you were hinting very strongly towards imran khan well but uh, i remember it it was ian botham in this in botham on the list right well my hint was that he had a very colorful career yes. and he is now in the higher corridors of power which i thought was imran khan who's the prime minister of pakistan it was sir botham now it's lord botham sitting in the house of lords ah okay so anyway uh-huh, uh-huh. in botham it was well i did not say he is in a position of leading a country that would have been a giveaway right there's only one such cricket mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i kept it purposely ambiguous <laughs> so i take a bit of credit on that for purposely misleading you <laughs> but in this case i'll probably also try to keep my uh, hints a bit more ah, it's better to keep it ambiguous i like it the question for this episode is when was the last time a test match which ended under two days had both teams batting twice it's basically directly taking away from what happened in the third test between india and england where there were actually four innings and in spite of that the game finished under two days so previously if you go back there have been two day tests there have been a bunch this decade already for example when india beat bangladesh that was a three innings game when south africa beat zimbabwe that was a three innings game uh, there are many like this right but when was the last time there were four innings in the game and in spite of that the game finished under two days so you may have to go a little bit back in the history of the game and it might not have been any time too soon maybe you have to look before some important let's say earth shaking and boundary changing events that happened in the mid of the 20th century and so on so that's the hint i can give you right ajay any any guesses uh, <laughs> no idea 
let's see i mean it seems like this right. this test match is standing with a lot of records and a lot of things that happened in 1930s and 1950s i think that's what i can take away from this mm. well okay i'll make it easy go before that all right that <laughs> sure. was the hint that's the question so as always if you want to give us an answer we are available on twitter at @amchatcrickpod you could write into us amchat.cricket@gmail.com or you could leave it as a comment on a bunch of these you know podcatcher applications where you could listen to our podcast and as always if you are listening to our podcast and if you like what you hear do leave us a positive review on apple podcasts and any of the other you know podcasts you may use before we go i would like to say a thank you to ajay it's the first time he's been a guest on our podcast and i've had a very enjoyable time talking with him and i hope he decides to come back so thanks a lot ajay it's been my pleasure i mean uh, i'm not uh, avid cricket fans like you and giri and a lot of other illustrious guests you had but i'm really happy to have been part of this and it's uh, a great ex- uh, great experience thank you very much all right having said all that it's a goodbye from both of us and thanks a lot ajay bye 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 This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast.